Good morning. It's good to have you all with us to worship our great God and Savior this morning. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 21, as Nick read. Thank you so much. And this is a very special Sunday because we get to partake of the Lord's table. And I'm, I'm always excited about this. It's a, it's a joyful time. Uh, it can be painful because we remember our sin, but the joy comes on the heel of remembering our salvation in Christ, that it is a table for sinners. Uh, it's actually one of the prerequisites of partaking, that you be a sinner, and then the other prerequisite is that you be trusting in Jesus for salvation. Uh, and so we invite you to partake. Uh, I'm going to put, uh, let's see, who's who? Uh, Wes, I'm going to put you on the spot this morning. Um, Wes is one of our deacons. Uh, if I'm praying and I am not back by the time we are done and ready for the Lord's Supper, would you please preside over the ceremony, brother? Thank you. I know he will, so he's awesome. So, uh, all right. So you guys come here. You always got to be ready on your toes because you never know when I'm going to ask you to do something like that. So, uh, no. So, we'll get rolling this morning. The year was a very intense and world-changing year in the history of our country. Approximately 100,000 troops were in a combination of boats and aircraft, and they would embark on a mission that would cost many lives that the world would look back on as a very influential day and the turning of a war. It was yesterday, June 6, 1944, 71 years ago, and one day 100,000 troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, France. Approximately 9,000 of those troops, most of them 19, 20, 21 years old, would never return home to see their families. Their bodies would die on that beach as they fought German, Nazi German soldiers in a very vicious campaign to start to take back continental Europe as they had very quickly gained much ground. The cost of that battle was high, but it was also the beginning of victory. Approximately 2,000 years prior to that, there was another battle. The cost was also very high. It wasn't high because of the number of lives that were taken, the staggering number of lives. It was costly because one life, one very precious life was taken. The only begotten Son of God laid down his life for his enemies. And that too was also the beginning, the turn of a war, the beginning of victory, a beginning that was promised way at the beginning in Genesis, a beginning that would start to see its fulfillment in our passage today, Genesis 21. And so uh, let's pray that the Lord would give us a sense of this great victory that he has wrought on our behalf. And a lot of times, just as D-Day Normandy was the beginning of a very vicious fight that would go battle by battle and cost many more lives, so the Christian life. Christ won victory at the cross, but sometimes it is a daily fight, by day-by-day by day battle, a vicious fight for our salvation, sanctification, 
by the grace of God. So let's pray, and we'll see what God's Word has for us. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the good shepherd. Lead us this morning to still waters. Lead us to green grass. Feed us, I pray. And may we eat and feast on nothing other than the body and blood of Christ. And Lord, by it, may you strengthen us. May you restore our souls. And Lord, may you take us to be with you forever and ever. We thank you for how in Christ you have pursued us with your goodness and mercy. And Lord, may now that mercy be tasted and seen this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. What's been going on in Genesis? We've been looking through and following Abraham, really from promise to stumble to now promise beginning to be fulfilled. And we've seen Abraham at his best. Man, the faithful, leave your father and your country and your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. We've seen him at his best, and we've also seen him at his worst. Immediately after receiving the promise, what does he do in Egypt? He lies. He lies. A very faithless act. He lies to the Pharaoh and says, this woman, Sarah, is my sister. We see him struggle with his faith because after 15 years, he still has no son. We see Sarah struggle, and she offers her slave, her servant, and said, maybe, maybe the Lord wants you to go into Hagar, and you'll get a son that way. God says, no, the son will be your very own son from Sarah and Abraham. And so we see this going on, and then there is a son from that union. His name is Ishmael. He is the founder, or the, our Islam friends and family members, our Islamic friends, would point to Ishmael as the father of their nations, the child of promise. And so you see two competing lines in world history and religion. One of those lines traces through Isaac. The other traces through Ishmael as the child of promise. Time goes on, and then you see Abraham doing good again. He's interceding for Lot. He rescues his, his nephew from four kings. He takes people to task, and he's a mighty man. And you see him growing in wealth and possessions, and he's in the land of Canaan. We see all this tracking, and then finally, again, right before our passage, he does what? He lies again. He lies again, 25 years, 24 years after God's promise. He stumbles again. Moses has been walking us through the life of Abraham to this day, to this season of his life. If there was ever a reality TV series before modern-day cable, surely this is about to embark on it. Because now it's the birth of the son. He's been announced. He's been promised. He's been named. The time has been appointed. And today's chapter, he's come. It's a boy. <laughs> it's a boy. Before they had sonograms and all sorts of other ways to determine the gender, they had to wait until that day. But they knew because God told them, you're going to have a son. The day's here. And we're going to watch Isaac like we watch reality TV. I don't watch too much of it. Some of you may watch, I don't know, Survivor or 
Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I think that's Uncle Wes's favorite. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> we watch this, and we will watch Isaac literally grow up before our eyes. We will watch his birth, his first-year birthday party, his weaning. His, uh, we'll watch his teenage years. We'll watch his marriage, and we'll watch him have children. We will, he will literally grow up before our eyes. This great child of promise. One day we'll watch another child of promise grow up before our eyes. But we'll see him face to face. And all of this is pointing towards him. So as we enter this, the drama, the tension, the scenario, is, it's palpable. You could almost leave this, the middle of this chapter, chanting, Jerry, Jerry, okay, because it's just, you'll see, it goes down, right? Sarah and Hagar, they go at it. Kick this slave woman out. Get her son out of here, okay? You're going to see all this. The Bible records it all for our eyes. Inspired by the Holy Spirit to encourage weak, struggling sinners like us to trust in the promises of God. Last week, the main movement we saw kind of looking at the big picture of Scripture, okay, trying to connect Genesis and the Gospels with the end, the the kind of big picture of redemptive history that moved the ball forward was God's covenant curses can be averted by the prayers of his prophet. That was kind of the big idea. We saw Abraham interceding for Abimelech and averting the curses. This week's big idea, so as your notes, is new now. This week's big idea, the divine inheritance only comes through the child of promise. So God promised Abraham an inheritance. That divine inheritance only comes through the child of promise. Namely, and ultimately, Jesus. I'm going to flesh that out this morning. All right, so that's what we're going to look at. That's the big idea. Number one, point number one, we're going to have three points, the celebration, the expulsion, and the provision. Those are your three points. The celebration, verses 1 through 8, the expulsion, 9 through 14, and the provision, 15 through 21. So there's the celebration here. 25 years of waiting, 25 excruciating years if you're Sarah. Why were those long years? Because Sarah was barren. As a woman, she had no children. She could not bear children. And in those days, if you could not bear children as a woman, it was believed that you were under the curse of God. You had done something that God was angry at you. You were under his curse. And so there were 25, actually her whole life, years lived of feeling the scorn from other people. You ever feel that with your eyes, people looking at you with scorn or anger or they have that look at you and they know there's, there's more underneath it. Okay, there's been a whole life of her of this. Others looking at her and judging her. What did you do? It's understandable that she would doubt the goodness and promise of God. Maybe I'm not doing something right. It's been 24 years since God said that I would have a son, and yet, and yet I still remain childless. Maybe, maybe I am doing something wrong. Little did she know 
Little did she know that even though her outward circumstances appeared to be that of a cursed woman, she was actually uniquely blessed among all the women of the earth with the promises of God. 25 years of waiting, 25 years. Louis Giglio said this, this is hard for us, right? We think 25 years. Think of, think of your life, and, and there's promises that come to you in the gospel that are yours to claim, but sometimes waiting a year feels long. Waiting a month can feel long. They waited 25 years before they ever saw an heir. This is hard for us because to us, Louis Giglio says, to us, waiting is wasting To us, to wait on the promises of God is wasting time, but to God, waiting is working. We feel like time's being wasted, but to God, waiting is working. God was working the whole time in an infinite number of ways to bring about an ultimate good that they would not even begin to see in their lifetime. God was working the whole time. Sometimes we wait for God's promises, right? Sometimes we wait as a church for God's promises, corporately, not just individually or individual, but sometimes as a church gathered, we wait for God's promises. We wait for him to provide what we need. And it seems like he's taking forever. We wait for him to provide what we need ministry-wise. Man, I would love to have a little bit of extra help in the nursery or, or in children's church or a little, a little bit more help in the buildings and grounds guys who are out here every Saturday doing an excellent job, Uncle Lance. and these, We're just kind of waiting. Sometimes we're waiting for monetary needs. Like, man, we just parsonage. We need like $150,000. If anybody has it, kind of drop it in there and we'll be done waiting, right? But until then, we just wait. On the Lord, and it can feel like a long time, but He is always, always working. And so we don't lose hope in the waiting because He's working. Sometimes we wait as families. Some of you wait as families, husband, wife, son, daughter. You're waiting for something. I'm waiting for my spouse to change. I'm waiting for me to change. I'm waiting for my children to get saved. I'm wait- we wait. We wait for the Lord's provision. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Three times in the first two verses, God is faithful. We see that three times in the first two verses. Verses. God is faithful to, to fulfill his word. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Three times in two verses, we are appointed to the faithfulness of God. If God says he will undertake to do a task, he's going to do it. If God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for I am at work in you to will and to do of my good pleasure, he intends for you to work until you see his will and good pleasure form in your life. If he says... He says, all things work together for good. Then fight for joy in Christ and endure. And God is working. Make no mistake about it. 
God is faithful to fulfill his word. So Abraham follows God in obedience. His name, Isaac. What does Isaac mean? He laughs. You remember what happened when God told Abraham and Sarah, even though they were like 170, or sorry, 190 years old, he's 100, she's 90. You got it. Even in that time, God says, you're going to bear a son. And what do they do? They laugh. They laugh at the promise of God. Are you kidding me? Right? But God says, because you have laughed, you're going to name your son Isaac. And it's actually going to be me who has the last laugh. And so Abraham does. He names him Isaac, which means he laughs. And Abraham and Sarah both laugh together, which is what happens when we start to see God's promises come to fruition. It's just like... It's happening. Wow, he's actually doing it. Praise God. And, they, and so Sarah's just elated. You just see this passage. She's just using a wordplay. Everybody who hears me will laugh over me. God has caused laughter for me. She is just using his name on all of these little wordplays throughout this passage. And Abraham is faithful to do what God has said. The narrative then skips forward about two to three years. So he's born, and now he's a toddler, and there's a celebration. And what are they celebrating? Isaac is weaned now, okay? Women, you guys remember the time you, you weaned your child, right? That's a day of celebration indeed, okay? Because you're like, yeah, I'm not tired anymore, and not, I have some independence. It's a day of celebration, and that's what's happening is this is kind of like our first birthday parties. It's a huge gathering, family gathering, and they just party because their son has reached a certain age. The child of promise, the long-awaited 25 years, he's here. We're going to have a party now. Anybody... In here, ever have like big family gatherings, and almost every time there's like a fist fight that breaks out or some sort of drama, and you're just like, man, can't we ever just get along and not have a fight? I mean, what's wrong with my family? <laughs> Anybody like that? It, you're ashamed to raise your hands. I know the truth. I know the truth, right? This is kind of what happens in families. If that's you or you ever feel like that, be encouraged you're in good company because that's exactly what's about to happen. They're having a big party. Everything's good. Isaac is, you know, he's probably doing the toddler stumble around, you know, and Sarah spots something. New mom, mama bear, treasured child. She sees teenager Ishmael child of the slave, about 14 years old now. She sees Ishmael mockingly laughing and scorning her son. She sees the child of the slave woman. It's a key term in Galatians 4. She sees the child of the slave woman persecuting her son, the child of promise. Keep that in your mind. Tuck that away. It's important. And so she gets viciously angry. The, the, if you just transport yourself there, you're, you're Sarah and there's your baby son you've been waiting for forever and there's this teenager who shouldn't even be here in your mind. He's a slave child mocking your son. He's only two. And what does she say? She responds, Abraham, cast out that slave woman and her son. Get them out of here. What would you do? Leads us to point two, the expulsion 
the expulsion, verse 9 to 14. Cast him out, what would you do? Imagine you're Abraham. This is your firstborn son. You love, we're parents, right? There's parents in here. You love your children. Maybe some of you are parents and, and you had a divorced child and now you're remarried and you have a blended family. That's where I came from, okay? And you have a child. It's just kind of like them saying, send that child from that other woman away. Abraham, it says twice in Scripture that he was very displeased, distressed, vexed in his soul over this. Feel the tension in the story. He loves his son. He loves Ishmael. For 14 years, he's been his only son. And now she's demanding he send her off, which to him would be certain death for the both of them. Abraham was about to learn the hard way, just as we learn the hard way sometimes, that obedience to the divine will can be painful. Why do I say that? Because God comes to Abraham in a dream that night and says, Abraham, send her away. What? What? God, what? How is that godly? How is that honoring to you that you would want me to send my son off to die? He didn't do anything. And God says, send her away. And the child. Let's read it. Verse 12, but God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Why? Why? Here it is. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now here's the promise. This is important. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose and did what the Lord had commanded Sometimes for us, obedience to the divine will can be extremely excruciating. Jesus would come later onto the scene and say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Sometimes obedience to God is very very painful. But as we remember God's promises, right? This is what God did with Abraham. Send him away, but remember my promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to make your offspring into mighty nations. I'm going to take care of the boy, Abraham. Let go of him. I will take care of him. That's hard for us to do, right? Hard, but not impossible with the promises of God. Think about your life, brother and sister, whatever you're going through. God may be asking you to cast something very dear to your heart away. And if he does, he gives you promise to do it. Remember, I will take care of you. I am God. I will take care of whatever this thing is. We have the same promises of God at work in us, sometimes as a body, corporately, as a church body. I'm not even talking individually now, but you're gathered together as a church, corporate body, members. Sometimes we have to be obedient to the divine will and cutting off a covenant member. 
And this displeases us, and it should. We may have to cut off a covenant member one day because of persistent or unrepentant sin. And I ask in that day, and for all of us, will we follow the divine will and trust that God will care for those who are his? If we are obedient. It's hard. You can feel the the tension in the story, but the power and the sweetness of God's promise makes that which is difficult possible. See that the power of God's promises makes the difficult command possible and even, dare I say, joyful in the midst of it. God says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is why. Why send away the woman? Because through Isaac is your offspring going to come. I'm going to take care of him, but your son is the promised child. Remember the big idea. The divine inheritance comes through the child of promise, namely, not Isaac, Jesus. Isaac was a stepping stone to get to Jesus. Remember all the scriptures about who? Jesus. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and starting with the the law and the prophets, shows them all the things concerning himself. And so this is where Jesus comes into the story. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Okay, fast forward Galatians 3. Thousands of years later, Jesus has died, rose again. He's come. He's gone back into heaven. And now we're in Galatians chapter 3. This is what Paul says. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Who is, what offspring is going to be named through Isaac? Who is God talking about? Jacob and Esau? Well, immediately, yes, but ultimately, who? Jesus. Jesus, through Isaac, shall Jesus come. Jesus is the ultimate child of promise, the the true one who would inherit all of the divine promises. The one promised is in Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the ultimate child given by God to humanity. And everyone united to Jesus by faith is a son of God and heir of those promises. You see how it's all wrapping around? How do we become partakers of the divine promise? Some of us are sons of Ham. Some of us are sons of Ishmael. We were born outside of this time. How do we become partakers of God's promises? Jesus. By faith in Jesus. And thank you for that amen because that's what all of Scripture is about. Jesus. Faith, if you will, what role does faith play? Faith in Jesus, trusting Jesus, seeing Jesus as all of God's promises fulfilled for me, turning from my sin and trusting in that. Faith is the glue that unites me to Jesus, that binds me to him, and nothing will ever break that bond in Christ. And so faith unites us to Christ, and according to Galatians, makes us heirs according to promise. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. 
because of Jesus. And the economy of God, therefore, if you reject following Jesus, right, the child of promise, if you reject Jesus the way Ishmael did, if you mock Jesus the way Ishmael did, and you die in that state, then you are not God's child. And you will receive none, zilch, zero of the promises of God. It's only in Jesus. And so the New Testament, Paul picks up on this reality and concludes with it in chapter 5, verse 1. Hear this, Christian, okay? This is for you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is what we do when we sin and we submit ourselves to commands as if they commend us to God. Brothers and sisters, you have been set free in Christ. Stand firm, therefore. There's some irony here, though, right? Did you guys catch the irony with Sarah? God has been so kind to Sarah. Sarah has disobeyed God. She has doubted his promises. She has gone along with Abraham's deception. But, but God has still been so kind to her in giving her a son. And yet, in return, she doesn't remember God's kindness to her. Instead, she is very harsh and merciless with Hagar, forgetting that it was actually her choice to give Hagar to Abraham. So you could easily say, whose fault is it that Ishmael even exists. Sarah's. You see the irony? God is kind to Sarah, but Sarah does not extend that same kindness to Hagar. What does this show us? It shows us, this encourages us. This should encourage you, friend. How does this encourage you? It should encourage you because it demonstrates that God isn't good to Sarah because Sarah is good. God is good to Sarah because God is good. And this is the gospel. This is a nutshell of the gospel. God is kind to us. He extends kindness to all of you without exception, no matter what you've done or where you've been. He extends that kindness to you, not because you're good, but because he is good. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God offers you life even though, like Sarah, you deserve harsh wrath and merciless anger. But he's kind because God is kind. It is in his nature. And so we see a lesson with Sarah and Hagar for all of us, and this is good news too. What's the lesson here? Sometimes past sin cannot be reversed. We wish it could, right? Don't you wish you could go back in time and not do that stupid thing that you did that now has all sorts of struggles and things? Or, or don't you wish you could just do it differently so that it, it just wasn't quite as hard, right? We say, if only I knew then what I know now. Some past sin cannot be reversed. Hagar slept with Abraham, and there's a child, Ishmael can't be undone. Past sin can't be reversed, but it can be redeemed. It can be redeemed. It can be covered by the blood of Christ. And what once was evil, God and his promises and might can turn for good if you will turn it over to him. 
if you will repent and believe. It can't be reversed, but it can be redeemed in Christ. And when you partake of the Lord's table this morning, remember, taste that redemption. Taste the covering of your sins by the blood of Christ. And remember, I can't undo what I've done, but Christ has redeemed me from it. It's a beautiful picture. And last, the provision. The provision. God obediently sends Hagar and Ishmael off into the desert. He gives them a little bit of water. Just think going hiking over the Pali uh, over there, west side, west Maui Mountains with just like a bottle of water. You're probably going to die. <laughs> you're going to feel like you're going to die even if you don't, okay? I've tried it. So it's hot. Water quickly runs out. Hagar senses death is near. And so she finds a little bush, right? Just like a little bush in the wilderness. And she lays her 14-year-old son who's weak and tired. She lays him under the bush. It says she goes about a bow shot far. She can't stand to look at her son die or hear his last whimperings. Right? Even if, even if you did wrong, even if you did something you shouldn't have done, nobody wants to watch the death of their child. And it says she goes and she just weeps. She goes so she can't hear him anymore, and she just weeps and weeps and weeps before God. And then something happens. God heard the voice of the boy. Wait a minute, wait, no, Sarah's weeping. But it says, God heard the voice of the boy, Ishmael. Who were the promises for? Ishmael. Genesis 17, God promises Hagar, I'm going to make of him a great nation. God promised to protect the boy. And so God hears the voice of Ishmael, which is actually its very meaning. Ishmael means God hears. God hears the voice of the boy. You see the play on words. And God is fulfilling his promises to the child. And he shows mercy to Hagar. Jesus in John 11 said, God, I know that you always hear me. You always hear me. If the promise to Ishmael delivered his mom... How much greater are the promises that are ours in Christ, and will he not be merciful to us on Christ's account? You see that? We've got so much greater promises in Jesus than Ishmael had, and God always hears Jesus. Will he not be merciful on Jesus' account? Far greater is the deliverance in Christ. And so there's a, sequel, uh, there's a series of events, and this happens in our lives as well. God reminds Hagar of the promise, I'm going to make of him a great nation. And then he gives her a command, up, up, lift up, stand up, Hagar, take the boy and hold him fast. And then God gives her provision. Then he gives her provision. What did he do? He opened her eyes and made her see. You say, what's so unique about that? There was already a well in her midst. It didn't say that he made a well for her. It says he opened her eyes and she saw the well. So you see the sequence. This is the sequence in Scripture over and over. Promise, I will be with you always to the end of the earth. 
go. Promise all things will work together for good. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Promise, command, get up. She had to get up. She couldn't just lay there and weep. Hagar, I'm going to deliver you, but you have to get up and grab your son. And as she follows two, three steps down the path of obedience, even though she's certain that death will come, God allows her to see the provision he had in front of her face the whole time. This is us. Sometimes in your life right now, you might be working through something or something's just weighing heavy on your soul. Dear friend, provision often follows the commands of obedience. As you walk and follow him, even though you don't feel like it, you feel depressed and downcast. As you walk, God opens your eyes to see provisions that you never even knew were there. God opened her eyes. She saw well. That because she was so sorrowful and focused on herself, she couldn't see it right in front of her. The love of God right in front of her, she couldn't see it. Until, until she turned to God in prayer and followed him in obedience. See, God had already promised his provision for the boy. He had already promised to make him into a nation. And she might have even been been thinking, I am following God. I'm praying. I'm weeping. But even her weeping was an act of faithlessness. Why is that an act of faithlessness? Because God had already told her she wasn't going to die. The boy's not going to die. The principle, what's the principle? When I turn to myself... When I look within and I focus on my weakness and my circumstances, when you focus on your weakness and your circumstances, we often miss the provision of God right in front of our faces. That provision could be in resources like a well. That provision could be in my brother being right there who loves me. It could be in the body of Christ. It could be in a million forms through Christ. But when I'm so focused on my weaknesses, I come apart. It's not until we turn to God that he allows us to see. Somebody said it like this, and this is really good. It just helps it all. Sometimes when it feels like everything is falling apart, it's actually falling into place. Right? That's the way it was here. Sometimes when it feels like everything in your life is just falling apart, it's actually falling into place. Praise God. This is a promise of us that comes to us in Christ Jesus that your life will never fall apart because it is hidden with Christ in God. Dear brothers and sisters, turn from your sins this morning. Daily trust in Jesus. God is faithful to fulfill his word. And if you've never seen Jesus as the pinnacle of the promises of God, today come and see. And you too you too will be heirs according to promise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages us that you are faithful even when our circumstances seem impossible. So Lord, I don't know who's here, what they're going through, the pain that's happening, but Father, may they trust and rest in the promises of God. That for you, waiting is not wasting, but you are always working. 
God. You work for your people. You came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, draw many now. May Christ be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.